the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Yours truly, Greg Mackling, and the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor with you and DT. Shall we begin the podcast where you began the coach's show Monday night? I think we should. Why not? It's better than talking about that game because I'm still dumbfounded <laughs> by it. Oh, man. Head coach Mike O'Shea, do you have any update on Kenny Lawler? I guess you won't take no for an answer. This this time, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, he's uh, everything's been sort of resolved, and he's playing this week. He he's play, You rarely ever say a guy's playing. He's playing this week on uh, Thursday. I guess I he's going to practice tomorrow, and I'm assuming that he'll look good, and I'm assuming he'll play. So, barring any unforeseen circumstance, he should be taking the field for us. How big a deal is that in your mind? Well, you could easily argue that he's the been the best receiver in the league for a few years now. So would be a big deal for any team. He's back. Kenny Lawler. Yeah. This is a pretty big deal. It absolutely is. When when we looked at the the season anticipating, you went, okay, the Bombers have the best receiving core in the league. And I mean, you add Kenny Lawler, who last year was the highest paid receiver in the league. And if he'd wanted to, maybe could have been the highest paid receiver in the league again this year. You add him to what they already have he and Dalton Schoen play for the same team now. That has the potential to be fantastic. It'll take some juggling to get him into the lineup. You'll have to move this guy here and la la la, but he should, as a guy who knows, you know, Buck Pierce's offense, having played for it in 2021, I think we're all anticipating it to be great to, oh my gosh. So what changes are going to be required? Who's going to be the odd person out here? So uh, this last game, it was... Rashid Bailey, it was Dalton Schoen, Nick Dembski, Greg McRae, and Drew Walatarski. Now, Rashid had moved positions last season to get to that wide receiver spot. That's going to be Lawler's spot. What we saw in training camp was Lawler working out of that, what they call the X wide receiver spot. It'll be Lawler, Schoen, Dembski, Bailey moves across to the wide side of the field, and Walatarski. So, it's just a it's a personnel switch. McCray probably stays on and Agadosi comes off off of Greg's performance. I, I don't know his spot is as assured as it would have been leading into last week. If you're drawing this up as an engineer or the or the football doctor that you are, DT, essentially McCray stays in for Janarian Grant. Otherwise, uh, does he come out or does Agadosi come out? I think I think at the moment Agadosi comes out. We only saw a couple of snaps from Carlton in the game in Ottawa, and I, I don't think they're likely to punt on McRae so fast because uh, those first two games he was in, he was fantastic, right? So gives him another little option, another little wrinkle to uh, to plop in there. Are there concerns potentially about Lawler's fitness coming back in, not having played a game to this point this season? I think there probably have to be, right? Because for six weeks he hasn't been running with the other receivers. Uh, I don't know what he's been doing. Uh, I assume it's he's been anticipating this day and going right into the lineup. So you just presume he's kept himself in shape. And the fact the Bombers, when they sent out the announcement, hey, Kenny's back, they said he will play on Thursday. I mean, okay, he, he, they must know he's in pretty good condition or else, right? They, they wouldn't just throw him out there on Thursday. When guys are coming back from like injury, they don't just say, bam, yeah, you're playing. They want to, 
feel it out for a little bit, have the trainer feel it out for a little bit, wait for official go. So I feel like they must know that he is ready to go if they're if they're going to say on Monday that yes, he will play on Thursday. Red Blacks from the 29-yard line of the Bombers. Four-man front, four men will rush. Crum looking right, pumps, he's going to scramble. 25, 20, 15, Crum's into the end zone for the touchdown and the win. Oh my goodness. And the Red Blacks are racing off the bench to hug the newest for the day CFL star. I'm just speechless. The most improbable of comeback victories. They might have just saved their entire football season with what they did in the fourth quarter against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Let's shift gears now to what happened in Ottawa on Saturday. I'm pretty sure in the pregame show I heard you utter the terminology trap game. And the Bombers were yes. seemed to be on guard for that and successfully guarding against such a result for about 57 minutes. Although there were hints along the way, perhaps, DT, that this wasn't going to be salted away absolutely until the final seconds of the game because there were some strange things that were going on, in particular, in my mind, the lack of ability for the Blue Bombers to run the football. Oh, just none whatsoever, right? And I haven't charted it out quite yet to find out, well, what did what did Brady have before contact? That's been really good this season. Like two and a half yards is a yards before contact is a really good number, but there was nothing. Sorry, uh, DT, could that number have been zero or less than zero? Oh, for sure it could. There were games last season where Brady was on average hit behind the line of scrimmage, right? It's it it absolutely could be. It was. It was rough watching, right? Brady was, what, 9 for 16? Ooh. He he doesn't have a lot of games like that. They could not make anything work in the running game, and ultimately, it might have affected them their decision-making coming down the, the stretch. It was really impressive how well Ottawa was ready to, to take the run away and absolutely dominate the what looked like dominate the interior of the Bombers' offensive line in that game. Well, two points to that then down the stretch, there was one opportunity, I guess it was second and seven. The Bombers were were faced with very late in the game and the Bombers decide to hand off the ball. Were they just yeah. trying to eat so, the 20 seconds there? That's exactly it. Yeah, this is the situation. It was second and seven on their own 53 with 128 left in the game. The previous play was Brady Oliveira rush middle for three yards. So at that point, Brady was eight carries for 15 yards in the game. You go, well, second and seven. And second and seven is overwhelmingly a passing down in the Canadian Football League. I looked it up because I was in a conversation online. It's almost 90% passing, right? It is it is a passing down. The previous, this will get super nerdy. The previous 12 times this season, the Bombers were in second and seven. They threw the ball. The last 24 times last season, they were in second and seven. They threw the ball. So the previous 36 times they'd thrown the ball. The only time they didn't was late in week one against Ottawa when they were deep in Ottawa territory and just trying to set up a field goal. Like second and seven is a passing down. So when they call running play, we're in the booth going, okay, they're not, they're just not trying to get a first down. They'll take a first down if it presents itself. But like you say, the conditions to that point in the game, the game flow was this run isn't going anywhere because none of the the running back carries have gone anywhere. None of the carries, period, right. went anywhere. So they're not trying. So on the coach's show, second and seven late in the game, and this is 
a decision that at the moment, in the moment it happened, we went, oh, okay, this is going on. We talked about it in the post game show. People have been texting me about it. Zach Schnitzer, 48, uh, hit me up on Twitter about it at DT on OB. Second and seven, a minute 28 to go in the game. You just run the ball for three yards and we can, I can fill in with all the other details that go into it, but what's the benefit of running the ball there? Because before the break, you said, uh, you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was, it was your decision to run the ball in that situation or your guidance to run the ball in that situation. Well, I, 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 let me clarify. Like I said, Buck is Buck and I are totally in tune. We're on the headsets talking about this stuff. I would rarely interject, but I don't have to in these situations because he knows how we're going to close out a game. And that's by getting the clock going, making sure that we, um, give the opposition the least amount of time possible to go down and score eight, eight points, which is what they have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Score six and then just convert. There's no time for the convert. Anyway, um, yeah, we're just, we've done it so many times. It's just the uh, the right thing to do, you know. You want to be able to uh, have that clock rolling on that special teams play or the next play, whatever that would be. Um so you can run another full 20 seconds off with the play, 23, 24 worth of punt, 26, 27, 28, whatever it's going to be. Right. Right. Um, and and give them a long field with less time. Because as it turned out, you you guys run the ball. Uh, the clock keeps moving. The clock keeps moving on the punt. They get the ball with 57 seconds. It says 57 seconds yeah, left uh, 57. on that play. So from 128 to 57, if he throws an incompletion, uh, the clock stops. It doesn't move. Is Zach going to throw an incompletion in that spot? Here, here's the factors we talked about. Zach's the quarterback. Zach's the best quarterback in the league uh, to me by far. Uh, he knows what to do in that situation. There's not zero chance of getting a, a first down on the run play, but the uh, Brady was eight for 15 by that point. Mm-hmm. And Demp, so the running game, the running back run game was nine for 19 by that point. So it, it felt like, okay, they're not really trying for a first down here. If you're trying for a first down to keep the ball and keep the clock going, you'd do something in the pass game knowing that Zach would know how to keep the clock running, not throw an interception in that spot, and not do his damnest not to throw the ball for an incompletion in that spot. Yeah, I'm, it's one of those game feel situations. I understand everything you've just said. I mean, we're we've lived it. Yeah. Um, What's the benefit of taking t- the 26 seconds off the clock in that situation, getting them down to 57. 57 seconds? Yeah, you've got a young quarterback who's got to operate at a very high level, serving clock. All their players have to know to get out of bounds, those types of things, right? Like they had one player tackled at the sideline, and he got tackled inbounds, and they seemed to operate fairly quickly. They had another one that should have been ruled inbounds that was ruled out of bounds going towards the sideline, right? Um, our players know to keep them keep guys inbounds and – uh, you just let the clock keep going down. You know yeah. they're left with nine seconds left. We would think we might get, you know, X number of plays out of nine seconds down there, right? And they pulled it down, ran it, and scored, which is fine. Has the Red Blacks first and goal from the Bombers, first and ten from the Bombers' 12-yard line. Four-man rush from pressure up the middle, scrambles out to his right on the run. Four, three seconds on the clock to come to the end zone for the touchdown. Are you kidding? Dustin Crum, the 12-yard scramble, and the Red Blacks are within two. 
He, he ran rush through Abu Dharami Soiree at the two-yard line. The play he couldn't make last week. My thinking was, you know what? You got to try to get a first down because end the game with the ball in your hands like you've done a couple of times this season already. But O'Shea's point, I, I think it's very clear. He's, uh, we talked about it a little bit off the air. It's very clear he and Buck Pierce have thought about it very deeply. Like these scenarios and these late game scenarios, they have thought a ton about it. So if you think it's spur of the moment, it, it's exactly the opposite. He just said, you know what? We, I can take 26 seconds off the clock there and give the ball back to a rookie quarterback against our defense. I feel very good doing that. Thus, they run the ball on second and seven when it's obviously a passing down. Let's talk about coaching decisions because there were two interesting ones by Bobby Dice that you mm. were open, openly conversing and questioning or or at least discussing with Doug, and that was the idea in one circumstance of taking a field goal when it presented itself and in another circumstance going uh, for first down when – Really, they they could have kicked a field goal. Am I getting that right? Yeah, there were a couple. There were twice they were turned away when they were first and goal, and each one of those they they could have taken a uh, a field goal. But and they Doug chose wondered not why to. they weren't they, doing that. Correct. We we were talking about a little bit in in those situations. Uh, I'm pretty forceful. Like if you're in the red black situation, you absolutely have to go for it. They took a field goal on the very first play of the fourth quarter from the Bombers' 15-yard line. Right. It was third and 12 from the 15. They kicked a field goal, which made it a 16-point game. Lewis Ward for the 22-yard field goal. It's up, and it is good. So with 14.52 to go in the, in the fourth quarter, it's now Winnipeg 25 and Ottawa 9. I wasn't 100% in love with that, but I didn't 100% hate that because it's now a two-touchdown game, even though it's 16 points. So, okay, that's that's good. Then they get the ball. Uh, they force a two and out from the Bombers. They take a long drive from their own 19, and with 8:48 left, they go for it on third and seven from the Bombers seven, and they get stopped. To me, that is the perfect call in that situation. That's 100%. That's three down territory for me. If you're in a game down 16, they go for it again, and the next time, and they get stopped again on you know from a first and goal situation. And there was under four minutes left. And that's obviously, I think we all agree, that's a go-for-it situation, right? You could say, well, if you take both field goals there, you only need two more scores. And you go, well, sure. But it's then, what is it then, 25 to 15? Okay, so if you if you make both field goals, you, you'd be within 10 points. Okay, but you'd have to get the ball twice and score twice if three and a half minutes to go, which is unlikely. When To me, it was perfect from Bob Dice because... You get down to the seven, there's no guarantee you're getting back down to the seven-yard line against the Bombers again, right? So strike while the iron is hot for me. I thought I thought he did that those endgame situations perfectly. So when you mention, now here's the thing, the 238 left. <laughs> yes, the Kalaris interception. Three receivers to the left. Kalaris looking left. Throws a little one-to-one. Tarski behind him, but it's picked off. Dandridge going to the end zone for the touchdown. Kalaris threw it behind Wolitarski. He tipped it up in the air. And the, uh, the touchdown they couldn't get against the defense, they get against the Bombers' offense. You're down 16 points at that, at that point in time. That's not two scoring plays. That's four scoring plays. And the Blue Bombers have already 
stopped you close down to the goal line. So those two-point converts were nothing guaranteed for Ottawa. So Mm -hmm. what they managed to do in that 238, nothing short of extraordinary. Talk about the probabilities. I know you cited it on the start with us on Monday morning, but this idea that this could happen wasn't just unlikely. It was beyond improbable, borderline impossible. Yeah, at that moment, uh, 2.38 to go. Bombers have the ball second and five on their own 22. They're, I mean, I punched it into an NFL win probability calculator, and the rules are different, so I tried to back the it out a little bit. The clock and everything, the right? Are, a little bit different, right? Yeah, but the Bombers, you know, I, I back it out a little bit, give it a little more time, and, and the Bombers are 99% going to win that game. Up two scores as a 10-point favorite with the ball in their hand. So improbable. The... Teams in the CFL don't often go for two. We get we get a lot of kicks. So teams going for two make it about 60% of the time. You have to, on a razor's edge, get two two-point converts, including, you know, in that situation, you know one of them's probably coming very late in the game. And in this game, it was a do-or-die, zero seconds on the clock. Red Blacks down two, a two-point convert awaits. Three receivers to the left side. Bombers have five on the line of scrimmage. They'll drop Big Hill off. They'll rush four. Crum looking left. The hook and it's complete. And it's tied at 25. From where we were 15 minutes ago, I don't believe where we are now. What the heck is going on here? It's super improbable, but I mean... A two-point convert is just... It's the same as a one-point convert. It's just made less often, right? Like... I, Mike O'Shea last season on the coaches show described it as, well, you have to get into the end zone in this case four times. And I, while I understand that to me, I, I don't see anything special about getting into the end zone other than the, the geometric problem of you don't have unlimited field to work with, right? You have only you have the 20 yard end zone plus three more yards, but you can do so much in that space and teams can get in from the three yard line pretty frequently. Like it, it's only it's 60% of the time a convert on average this season kickers are pretty good this season. What is it? 92% like a convert isn't a sure thing either. A kicked you make, one. You make a good point. So yeah. So that's, that's, and that's one of the things, right? We talk about it. Like when, when these, we have these discussions, people will talk about it. Like the kicked convert is guaranteed. And as, as a bomber fan who went through 2022, I don't know how you think a convert is guaranteed because it was a, it was a question at times, sure. right? We're like, wait a minute. How did that not? And even Sergio has missed one this season. And Sergio's unbelievable. That's the only kick he's missed all season, but one was a convert. Well, kicked converts aren't guaranteed either. And going for two isn't particularly risky because that's only from the three yard line. You only, you only, you can get in there pretty good. Team offenses are good. And, a Zach Kalaris led offense with all these receivers is pretty good. So, and then Dustin Crum had some, someone sprinkled some fairy dust on him somewhere along the way. Started whatever magic they were working on that sideline, it was good. But it's it's super improbable, right? Because it is those two two point converts. If you miss either one of those, well, now you need a third score. And oh, by the way, if the Bombers score in retaliation, you're in real trouble. So yeah, it was. If if like the NFL probability in that situation the Bombers were in was they win that game 99.8% of the time. CFL, the timing rules are different, but it it was it was incredibly unlikely that you can make a comeback like that 
because of everything. Hold them off the board and two touchdowns and two two-point converts. Man, uh, a lot of weird stuff had to happen in that game for for that to be the unfortunate reality of week number five. So part of the... Pre- week number six, excuse me. One, two, three, four, five, and six. So this morning on Breakfast with the Bombers, we welcome realtor, actor, and of course, running back in his sixth season with the Blue Bolt. Morning to Johnny Augustine. How's it going, Johnny? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking the time with us. I'm, I'm wondering, how big of a deal is it to get Lawler back in the lineup? Well, a player with his talent and skill and just what he brings to the locker room is always a, a big boost and big upbringing. Um, it's just mainly the quality he brings to the locker room. Now, we, we'd like to get to know the Blue Bombers off the field, away from the game in, in this segment, Johnny. So we understand that you are both uh, a realtor and an actor? <laughs> yeah, so in the offseason, I, I like to keep busy, obviously, doing all my training and everything. But, um, you know, I have aspirations after, you know, playing this game for – X amount of years. Uh, it's something that I plan to pursue. Um, you know, I've done real estate, but acting is another niche that I've fell in love with um, this past couple of years that I've been working on. Well, you look great in a suit. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and uh, this uh, just 11 days removed from your 30th birthday. So happy birthday uh, belated <laughs> to you, Johnny. I've, I've heard you talk about physical mental and spiritual fitness and uh, you are an absolute specimen physically how does your physical fitness help with the other two aspects of fitness and vice versa yeah i mean it's more like i said yeah i always talk about physical mental and spiritual because those three um go far and beyond you know whether it's on the football field you know people don't understand it's not just physically but mentally as well the preparation that goes into it um, you know, it's a long season, a long journey. So mentally you got to make sure you're sharp. And I bring that attribute, like I said, you know, football goes beyond just the sport. It's outside of it too. Right. So many of us plan to do, um, lots outside of the sport. So to bring those kind of qualities and skills that I've learned from the game and just to build on it, whether it's on my body like I said, spirit, you know, I just bring it to every work, every every work that I've done, I bring those same skill sets onto that. So we were talking a bit this morning, Johnny, about how, you know, when you go on vacation or when Christmas approaches or in summer holidays, it's hard to stay on track with the routines. Like I just came off of a vacation and you think I have to reset, you know, you might have had drinks that you wouldn't have or food that you wouldn't have. Do you ever take a break on that front? Like do you vacation, <laughs> vacation like the rest of us? Yes, I do. And I mean, honestly, like for real, you do. <laughs> I mean, after games, I, I like to just treat myself to a little bit of pizza or whatever. So I have to. It's, a, it's almost like a nice reset, you know, because during the week leading up to the game, everything is, you know, like from the eating, from the mental aspect, you know, I'm just doing everything to give my team the best chance, um, you know, to win, to be prepared, just like my teammates would. Um, and in the off season. I mean, I used to be bad back in the day. I just would go 365 days out of the year. But, uh, you know, the first month, I like to just let my body, 
you know, relax, breathe. I think that's what happens when you get a little bit older and just understand, like, it's okay to take a break. So, yes, I, I like to relax at times, too. <laughs> what do you do during the – you say that you, you, you allow yourself to, to have some pizzas, treats, but during the week, uh, like, if you get a craving for a hankering for potato chips or something, like, how do you shut that off? I mean, when you've, uh, I guess, disciplined yourself long enough, you just know when to say no. So, uh, you know, like I said, I guess knowing that I'll have a pizza after the game or a burger, whatever I'm craving, I guess that kind of motivates me. So that's that's really what pushes me through throughout the week sometimes, you know, obviously minus the game. <laughs> Johnny, I think you're uh, such an incredibly important part of what happens with this Winnipeg Blue Bomber football club. You can step in in all sorts of situations. You're beast on special teams. Certainly, you've had opportunities to go and play elsewhere when your contract is up here in Winnipeg. Why do you, why do you keep signing with the Blue Bombers? Uh, um I will say it definitely starts with the man in charge. You know, I can say nothing more than uh, with Mike O'Shea, he, like what he brings um, just to the organization. And it's just the brotherhood, you know, like I said, you know, the locker room, that's why I started off what Kenny brings to the locker room is just truly special. And yeah, you know, I absolutely love it here. And to me, all that other stuff works out contracts. You know, I don't get caught up in that. I just know what feels right and what feels at home. So uh, just playing with those group of guys, you, you can't you can't replace that. So um, I'm truly blessed in every way, and that's why I keep fighting with with them every day. Is 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 this a Guelph Griffins thing? Uh, <laughs> Does that help the fact that you both went to the same university? I I, I can't say I, I focus on the Guelph Griffins, even though it is a special place in my heart right now. I'm a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. <laughs> Johnny, good luck on Thursday against Edmonton. Uh, you know, a lot of fans will be looking for a, for a bounce back. I know the players will be as well. It's uh, great to get to know you a little bit uh, away from the field, and we appreciate you making time for us this morning. Thank you so much, guys. You have a great day. Take care. For Week 7 in Edmonton, obviously a big term we've heard from not only Coach O'Shea but a couple of players is that they're going to flush this one what are we learning from the outside looking in? You know, we touched on the Oliveira situation, not being able to run. Zach Caleros was under pressure at certain times, even though he managed. I mean, we don't want to downplay the fact that Zach Caleros had 369 yards passing, a big chunk of those, uh, obviously, in the first three quarters. But, you know, is there and are there concerns about the offensive line? And if so, what's at the heart of that? Is it? To the outside? Is it in the middle? Where do you see the issues with regard to Calaris in particular not getting the time that he's been accustomed to? Well, I think throughout the first six games this season, we've seen problems at every spot on the offensive line, right? The BC game, you went, oh boy, uh, Stanley Bryant's taking on the chin in this one. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Jamarcus Hardrick in that one. And then to a lesser extent, uh, interior guys in that game took it on the chin. From the BC 21-yard line, three receivers left. Kalaris looking left, pressure immediately, and Matthew Betts just drops him down. Matthew Betts walked around somebody again, and he's blowing kisses to the IG Field crowd. I would feel like I'm the biggest man on earth if I had Matthew Betts' game tonight. Calgary game, 
James Vodders got through got through Jamarcus Hardrick a couple of times pretty strongly. Oh, okay, we don't. I, we're not used to seeing that. Uh, we've seen every member of that O line and even the sixth O lineman get got at points this season to the extent that we hadn't before. To me, this this one. I haven't gone back and, and charted it. I'll end up doing that tonight. But it felt like the interior was really on on display in this week's game. I, I don't remember. I'd said to Doug at breakfast the, the day after the game, I don't remember saying Stanley Bryant or Jamarcus Hardrick's name, which which was good. That you know, If we're not saying their name, nothing, nothing bad seemed to happen to them. But the interior offensive line appeared to have real troubles in that game. So... We've got that. Okay, let's deal with that. Uh, if the and if you know me in the running game, if, if the offensive line isn't going, no running back has any chance. So uh, that's just how it goes. Dalton Schoen dropped a a big long catch for the second time in two weeks. Is there something there that will we will need to talk about? Um, Savon Scarver in the first half going right to left got in behind Demario Houston and was wide open for a massive touchdown and dropped it. It was a perfect pass from Dustin Crum, perfectly in his hands, in stride, and he dropped it to the ground. And you go, well, there's five five out of six games where we've said, okay, somebody's running free behind defensive backs. And as good as Demario Houston, you know, with four interceptions and three fumble recoveries has been, there's been guys zipping by him in, in games. And you go, okay, well, now I'm still worried about defensive backfield uh brandon alexander doug brought it up in the postgame show brandon alexander on that final uh touchdown by crumb can't can't get to crumb and i i still having seen it a couple times can't figure out why he doesn't obliterate crumb at like the 10 yard line we did not see that from brandon alexander before the knee injury and okay well is that something we have to be concerned about or is that the normal process of coming back from from his knee injury there are a lot of spots to which uh, I am. I currently have. I want to phrase this correctly. There are a lot of spots to which I currently have concerns. But overall, they're still easily one of the top three teams in the CFL. Like they could, they could beat BC on August third by twelve points. I still think they're they're great. But there are still there are spots in kind of every game where we went, ooh, oh boy, that's that could be troubling. And you mentioned the fact that Ottawa drove on the Blue Bombers several times uh, into touchdown yeah. scoring range. How big of a concern is the inability of that defense to, to get off the field? Once again, uh, we've been so accustomed to them really bearing down when when things are, are, are at a critical stage. And they just really just didn't manage to do that in that last uh, couple of minutes and the last minute in particular on Saturday. Yeah, well, let's let's throw out the the numbers. The fourth quarter, the the turn one of the first turnover on downs drives was nine plays and seventy seven yards. The final touchdown drive to tie the game was seven plays and ninety four yards. Ninety four yard drive, and so I I dug back in because I thought, well, it feels like the defense was on for a, on the field for a long time in that fourth quarter. On Crumb's tying touchdown, you see Willie Jefferson from his defensive end spot loop over top and come right down the middle at Crumb, and you think, oh, man, Crumb is going to die. But he, he scrambles out, and it just looks like Willie is exhausted and can't chase him down. So you go back in and, and look at it, and I counted 26 defensive plays the Bombers were on the field for 
in the fourth quarter alone. I think, wow, that sounds like a lot. I can only find one other game in the last, oh gosh, in the Mike O'Shea era where the Bombers' defense was on the field for 26 plays or more in a quarter. One time. And it was Edmonton trying to make a furious comeback in 2019. They didn't make it. But 26 plays because the offense goes two and out, and the offense goes two and they're intercepted. Uh, the Bombers' offense at, just could not stay on the field at all. They had a six-play, 24-yard drive, and then punted off to uh, the Red Blacks for the final drive of the game. This is one of those ones to me where I go, if the offense gets a first down, right. just just one in those first two drives, the the final drive to me looks a lot different. It's it's one of those ones where I, I feel like it's all interconnected. And if the offense were better and the offense was bad in that fourth quarter, it would have saved the defense a lot. Like It's on the defense themselves to get off the field, and I get it, but... I told I, I when you see 26 plays in a quarter, you go, yeah, they're exhausted. And these aren't NFL sized rosters where you could turn guys over and rotate everybody in and out. Like some guys ha- probably had, I, I presume Willie was on there for every one of those 26 snaps. I can't tell you that for sure, but some guys are out there for every single one of those snaps. And Oh, by the way, Malik Clements had been injured. So they were had other linebackers in there too. You go, uh, so uh, honestly, that fourth quarter and and the comeback, I I lay a real good uh, amount of it on the Bombers' offense for not holding on to the ball and not just the interception for the touchdown, but not holding on the ball onto the drive. Uh, Brady makes a huge play that could have turned the tide of the game, and the ball gets punched out. And you go, if you and Brady said, I think post game, like I got to hold on to that bleeping ball. Mm-hmm. If he does, whole different game, right? And it's. Yeah, so I, I I have to I have to say, and this is just me. Your your view may vary, but a lot of that fourth quarter collapse I think has to fall on the offense. Oh, I a hundred percent, and I was glad that you you brought out the statistics to back that up, because sometimes it appears to be one thing when in actuality it's more than likely, if not in fact, something else. When it comes to football, I think sometimes we forget how intrinsically entwined the performance of each aspect and facet of the game impacts the other. You've got to get those first downs and it changes everything. You've got to do, you've got to do your job. You know, it's it, it's the microcosm or the expansion of the idea that a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman taking the wrong step to the right or left can completely botch what otherwise be a touchdown pass or a quarterback sack or a stop of the run at the goal line. There's a thing. There's a thing I do when I'm trying to evaluate next season or try to evaluate a team for the current season and how they're going to do going forward. And you look at one-score games, and this was a one-score game, 31-28. When you look at one-score games, you have to think, you know what, like a one-score game is is in no way is it a commanding victory. When the Bombers beat teams by 11 and 15, you know, two scores, okay, that's a real victory. This one, one-score games are, there's a lot of luck involved in them. And I think we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of luck involved in the Red Blacks winning this game, and there's a lot of luck involved in any team winning any one-score game. Because what you'll see year over year is, if you win a lot of one-score games one year, the next year your team tends to win fewer games. Like there's a real strong correlation between your your win-to-loss ratio in in a year 
and your the number of wins you put up the next season because one score games are inherently have a, have a real impact of luck in there. If one bounce goes the other way, easy peasy. If Alden Darby has a who has a pick six waiting in his hands, like it would be a long pick six, but he's a pick six waiting in his hands, catches that ball and takes off and does score, totally different game. If Dalton Schoen catches the deep ball that that Kolaris lays on him perfectly, big score games, totally different game. Um, there are so many bounces within the game that either go or don't go your way that when you have a one score game like this one, you, you have to write down so much of it to luck as opposed to, oh, well, we were just tougher, stronger, better, more determined, better looking, our hair flowed better. We smell nice. Like it, it's a lot of it comes down to, to luck. And you see that as it plays out in the following season. So, uh, I mean, think of the Calgary games last year. Three one-score games against Calgary. The first one, they could have ended up in overtime if Kamar Jordan doesn't drop a last-second pass in the end zone. There's there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, the Montreal game in Week 10 last year. Tell me the Bombers shouldn't have won that game, but bad luck. Mark Leggio misses two kicks. Like that's not that's not the skill of all four. You know, 45 guys on the roster plus their 45. Like that's just bad luck that that happens. So these one-score games are very fickle. So yeah, that uh, that the Bombers. I, that's why I thought the Bombers couldn't get to 15 wins again this season. I had them at like 12, 13, where the Gamblers had them because they had some one one score luck last season, and uh, this was definitely not one score luck in this game. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. It's our deepest dive in the vaults yet, but for this first meeting of the season between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Ottawa Red Blacks, I felt like going back as far as we possibly could when it comes to clashes between these two franchises. That day was July 3rd, 2014. Eugenie Bouchard had just beaten Simona Halep at the All England Club to advance to the Wimbledon Finals. Millions of people were playing on the brand new iPhone 6. Drew Willey and Henry Burris were about to do battle at IG Field. Strap in for this one as the Red Blacks took the field for their first regular season game ever and the Blue Bombers tried to build on a surprising week one win in Toronto. In the first quarter, it was an Ottawa team playing like it had something to prove. And he'll hand it off to Siobhan Walker and he is in for the touchdown. Burris back to pass, fires left side and complete down to the Bomber 15 yard line, the 10, the five and in for a touchdown is Dobson Collins. The Bombers would find themselves in a 21-7 hole at the end of the first quarter. Lots to cheer about, if you weren't wearing blue and gold at least. But for a bit of a silver lining, rookie running back Nick Grigsby would double down on the team's lone first quarter score when he rushed for another touchdown early in the second. Even though he had half as many yards as his 122 in week one for this, this new guy wearing the headset, the timing couldn't have been better. He was creative. He made, you know, he made guys miss and got to the outside and scored. And it was, uh, they were just the perfect timing. Oh yeah, that is Mike O'Shea with a clean shaven look. That's almost hard to remember these days. The Bombers would go into half trailing by just four after a Liam Hyrulahu field goal in the final seconds. And perhaps that offered up a chance for O'Shea and his coordinators to coach up their soldiers. Linebacker Johnny Sears certainly noticed a difference. You know, lack of communication early, you know, kind of the the excitement got to us and we wasn't lining up properly, so they got a few few quick ones in. And when we, once we calmed down and settled down, got to communicating and 
talked over at the sideline, we got it together. It was a motivated Bombers team that came out of the tunnel to start the second half, determined to not let IG Field be the site of the first win in Red Blacks history. And it was a defensive stand that may have been the first inclination to fans that things were going to go differently this half. Red Blacks, Bomber 30, here's the toss to Walker, right side, and he's hit for a loss, DeMond Washington. Game throw with a big defensive play. Yet the defense would surrender seven points off the foot of Brett Maher, two field goals and a rouge. So with the Bombers suddenly trailing by eight with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, Washington took it to himself right, again. Right now the 30, the 35, back inside the 40, the 45, the 50, center field. DeMond Washington is gone. No flags on the play. And the Bombers get a kick return touchdown by DeMond Washington. The Bombers would fail a two-point conversion, but Grigsby's third touchdown of the game would give them the lead with less than four minutes to go. Another good stop by the defense, but the Bombers facing a big second and long with 1.43 left. Convert it and seal the game. And he's throwing it long down the right side, and it's caught at the Ottawa 30-yard line, and there's the game-breaker right there. And wouldn't you know it, it's Aaron Kelly who makes the huge grab. With a defensive back draped all over him at the 40, the ball dropped perfectly into Kelly's arms. 29,000 at IG Field collectively exhaled, and the Bombers would soon go on to 2-0. and A gutsy, perfectly executed throw from Drew Willey, who injured his throwing hand on a helmet earlier in that quarter. They were pressing uh, Aaron Kelly to the field, and they backed up a little bit, but I, I kind of like you know throwing those seam balls to Aaron and they kind of shaded to Nick's side, so I went to Aaron, and he made a great play for us. Going for a 45-yard throw and catch with the chance to give the ball back if it fails. Certainly a bold call. The execution, though, was a huge exclamation mark, just like the head coach drew it up. We run the ball and get stopped, and then we punt, and they get the ball. Henry gets the ball with a minute 50 or whatever it is left on the clock, you know, at the 30 or 40-yard line. What It's... Uh, that's not a good situation to be in either. Henry Burris wouldn't get his opportunity to lead his new team to victory that night for the first time, but the Blue Bombers certainly knew it wasn't for a lack of trying. Oh, that's a Hall of Famer. So you you know what you get when you come into your stadium. So And he showed it early. For the Red Blacks, it would be the first check in a loss column that would feature a lot of them by season's end, finishing with just two wins. That's how many the Bombers possessed after the final whistle on this night. And the team and the city felt like it was a new era. This is not the team they seen last year. It's a totally different team with a totally different scheme. And we had a different we have a different mindset expecting to win every game. Steve Morley was learning a new position that year, center instead of his traditional guard spot. But that wasn't the only change he was noticing around IG Field through two games. They wanted guys that uh, aren't going to quit. They wanted guys that are going to uh you know, weather the storm and keep fighting to the end. And I think, uh, you know, even, even though the game was sloppy, we uh, we came in on top. And that's uh, come to, come end of the season, it's playoff time, and we have enough wins to get in. That's, that's all that matters in my mind. Things wouldn't finish quite as rosy as they started for the Blue Bombers that year. 7-11 and 11, and missing the playoffs for the third season in a row. But hindsight has afforded us the chance to recognize games like this one as laying the groundwork for the dynasty we enjoy every single week. These days, Winnipegger Bob Dice would like to do the same with his club in Ottawa, setting the tone in his first year as the official head coach. Almost time now to see if it'll be the native son coaching his team to victory over his childhood squad or the man who's made Winnipeg his home over the past decade, grabbing a W in the nation's capital. 
I want your take on this. What happens if the Bombers only beat Edmonton by five points this week? What's the conversation for the bye week? Is yeah, it everything's right, that, or that, is it, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? And that and that pesky bye week, we know that that's been a thorn in the side of the Blue Bombers and a lot of teams as well. We know that players start thinking about, oh, I'm going home for a week, or they get to get away and do something uh, around the province. I, I think it's unimaginable as to what comes down. You know, the Blue Bombers, on their side of it, We'll just say, well, we just got to come back and, and work harder, dig deeper. If they manage to lose to Edmonton on Thursday, this fan oh, base. Oh, you're bringing up losing to Edmonton? Oh, I can't believe you brought up losing to Edmonton. Absolutely. Oh my God. No. Well, hey, oh, man. We, it was unimaginable to lose this game in Ottawa on Saturday. To a great extent, it was almost unimaginable, or it was obviously more probable that, that BC would give the Blue Bombers a run for their money, but to beat them and hold them to six points the way they did, I would have put that as impossible just four weeks mm-hmm. ago. A five-point win against Edmonton, and I think you've got a lot of questions coming from, well, the people who are listening to this podcast and beyond. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's exactly where I'm at. If if they ab- if they mash Edmonton into a fine paste, then I'm I'm comfortable with where things will be at going into the bye week. If they just beat them by five points, oh boy! If the other thing happens, then everything's on fire, and who knows what it looks like when we when we come back from the bye week, right? And and start talking bombers again. Uh yeah, it's it it all of a sudden became. It's super important that game. We, I was going into the Ottawa game, and I'm like, I don't like to put this on anybody else. I was going into the Ottawa game saying, "Oh man, here's a two-week get-right situation where the offense can put up 75 points between the games, and they'll be six and one on the other side, and man, it's going to be great." And then weird things happen in Ottawa, and then Edmonton is. I mean, I don't. No team's ever gone 0 and 18, so Edmonton's got to win it sometime, and. <laughs> There are spots at which you can oh get to. No, there are spot. There are spots at which you can get to this Bombers team and go. Oh man, it's that's going to be a must listen on Thursday night when they take on Edmonton. I hope it's. I hope it's the mash them into a fine paste. But I. I mean, we uh, we just lived the Ottawa game, so we're we've stark reminder that anything is possible. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us.